This is the What's Next podcast, Houston's number one platform where I invite creators to share their journeys and give us a depiction of their visions. Most importantly, the last question I'll ask is, what's next? Episode 67, y'all. Episode 67. It's time. Walk with me. Let's go. Yo, I feel like 95. Sachi on my body. Biggie chicken puffing. All that ballin' is a hobby. And I'm wildin' in my wallies. No valleys, no Pilates. More way get you more wet. I would like to make a few comments concerning the difference Listen, between the I played this song in episode number 66, Bloodshed. The song is still prevalent. It's two minutes. I want to listen to it. It's been on my mind lately, y'all. Minus the air horns, though. The objective of a revolution and the result of a revolution and the methods used in a revolution. When it rains and pours, let me change the forecast. Lord, give, give me the strength. strength. Hurricanes are more. If hurricanes are more, that remain a storm for me. Dang, I guess I'm gonna bang, bang some more. Remember days of y'all. This dang for the law, but shit changes never in vain. For moms to get sane. Pardon, I switched lanes for the sake of making sure my nephew live it up. Come on. I give a fuck if I quiet to wishing. Niggas dying if they saw my position. I envision benevolence for the hell of it. And miss my levelness for the smell of it. Do you know the set of Listen, I know I messed up, y'all. He's got a crazy word scheme. What's no negotiation? I said minus air horns, I'm sorry. You find out what it is, you'll get back in the end. You'll get out of the way. You haven't got a revolution that doesn't involve bloodshed. And you afraid to bleed. I'm no Fred Hampton Jr., but a Fred Hampton shooter would have been at my bed. I would have been clapped the roof. I ain't been laddies, dude. I never crashed without the tool. A nigga did dirt for pushing up grass and petunias. Revolution revolves around execution. Not involved, gotta execute them. Can't resolve, so it's death they choosing. Uh-huh. I can solve it. The solution is all about retribution. When a scourge to just get just what they deserve, then justice is served, not destitution. Ever Houston, Texas, welcome back to episode number 67 of the What's Next podcast, a production of Still Visionary, Inc. Um, yeah, man. Heavy times we're in. Um, let me go ahead and get the episode started because uh, I want to have your full attention. And, um, yeah, I'm back to making a call this episode. Um, I'm going to premiere, well, rather, I'm going to bring Pierre back because we have some more discussing to do. But I wanted to get the perspective of an African-American woman that I know closely who, of course, was on the podcast. Um, So, here we go. Hello? Kayvon. What's good? 
How you doing? I can't complain. How are you? I'm well. Um, welcome to episode number 67 of the What's Next podcast of production Steel Visionary, Inc. Um, How are we live? Hey. Did <laughs> <laughs> you um, laugh? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started with our social media handles so we uh, don't disrupt the flow of the conversation when we get to that point. Oh yeah, um, you can follow me um, at Lady Tater Screenwriter. I I rarely post, but I'm just being transparent. Um, and then my other Instagram uh, is at Kalea, so that's K A L A I A H. And you know what? When you when you get to that point where you get that blue check, you know you, you'll be using your real name. You'll be like some of these R and B sensations that use their real names on there, and uh, you know they're the only one with that name, so they give them that blue check. I can't wait for that moment for you. I'm telling you. How many followers you got to get to get a blue check? I don't know. Um, but my name is John Ross Dyke the first, and you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at John Ross Dyke and still underscore visionary. If you would connect with me on LinkedIn, subscribe to my YouTube channel, like my fan page on Facebook, and visit my website at stillvisionary.com. In front of you, I have all my paraphernalia. You can shop at stillvisionary.com slash apparel. Again, how are you doing amidst this time? Man, um, I think every day I oscillate between anger mm. and uh, I oscillate between anger and resolve and numbness. Um, yeah, I go back and forth between those, I think, three spaces every day. Houston, Texas, uh, let me remind you that uh, Miss Kalea Vaughn was on episode number 29 of my podcast last year in Los Angeles, California. And uh, Kalea, it was my intent to call you when I was talking to Pierre on the phone. But um, I'll take the full blame for that because I wasn't as organized as I should have been. But, uh, you know, Houston, Texas, um, you know, this is a podcast for the creatives made by a creative, a mobile podcast for the creatives made by a creative. And I am calling Kalea today because as a creative, I know that situations and experiences motivate us to do certain things and to walk a certain way, talk a certain way. So I, I want to get your insight as to the mind state of a creative, especially an African, African-American creative um, in Los Angeles in 2020. While these things are going on due to Los Angeles's history on riots, um, how is it affecting you as a as a creative, as a black woman in, um, in the state of California now? Yeah, no, great question. Um, ironically, one of my friends invited me out to protest today. Mm. And initially I was going to do it. But I was like, I really need to plan before I go protest because they out here with tear gas and rubber bullets. And, you know, technically, technically, you know, per police training, rubber bullets are not supposed to be shot at people. Right. Rubber bullets are supposed to be shot on the ground. And the idea is that the noise alone would make people disperse, which when done properly, it does. But these cops are full fledged shooting rubber bullets at people. Mm. And that kind of changes everything because you can get a traumatic brain injury. You know, it can crack your skull. Yeah. Um, 
And so, and so just little things like, do I wear my contacts or do I wear my glasses? Because mm. they're pepper spraying people, mm. you know? So initially I was going to do, but then I realized, you know what? I need to better plan my participation in the protest because I, I will say this, you know, civil rights movement was successful to a large degree because everything was strategically planned. And so I feel like I can't go out there without a plan. And not to say I'm going to know all, I have all the answers because I don't, but I do need to, to better plan my participation in protests because it's definitely coming um, for sure, for sure. Because I said this week, I'm going to use this week to, to plan. And I have a friend in Dallas who's been protesting and uh, I'm going to ask her for, for her, you know, tips and tools, tips and tricks that she's done and that she's used. Yeah. Um, but just little things like that, you know, you, that make you think. And then the other thing is some of my friends protested and then logistics becomes a thing. Like, do I drive my car to mm. where the protest is going to start? But, you know, as a protest, you 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 walk from, you walk, right? So you're going to mm. be far from your car at some point. So in the event they start off with the mace and the pepper spray and the rubber bullets and all, okay, that's fine. How do I get back to my car? Yeah. You know, and then the other thing then becomes... Um, some of my friends that were protesting were like, yeah, after the protest, like last week, they were unable to get an Uber, which struck me as odd because I have Ubered my life away here in Los Angeles mm. from a range of obscure places. So I know Uber is definitely alive and well and flourishing financially here in L.A. Yeah. So then it's like, so all of a sudden everybody's Uber app doesn't work. <laughs> All, all, all of a sudden, ain't nobody in Los Angeles need to make no extra money. Kalea. Oh, okay. You know, so you you just start to think about it. It's like, okay, so I know for me, I have to, like, I'm going to have to use this week to, to strategically plan my participation in the protest. But I'm going to have to participate because if not, anger is going to get the better of me. So it's in my best interest that I do protest, that I do participate. But I just want to to plan it um, with safety in mind as much as possible. So um, remaining in the guidelines of what my podcast was originally created to do, um, what do you think that a creative should take or what do you think that people should take from the creatives that are speaking about um, the murder of George Floyd um, the protest, the peaceful protesting that's going on now, um, the riots and looting that has begun uh, amidst the protesting. What do you think that people should take from our conversation in regards to that? I think there are several things. I think that as an artist, what you create needs to be reflective of the times in which we live. Okay. You know, if I, if I can loosely quote Nina Simone, because that was her her philosophy. And I'm sure we've all seen it circulating on Tumblr or on Instagram. Um, cause that's one of her more popular quotes. Um, our, our art needs to reflect the times in which we live. It's critical. Yeah. The, the other thing I need to, I, I would say too, is that for the consumers, you need to understand that for a lot of black people, much of the art we have is rooted in pain. Mm. And so I think that, this is why it's even more critical that we have black people at the executive levels, that we have black gatekeepers, because more of these stories need to be told in their fullness. Um, 
Toni Morrison speaks about her one of her favorite novels is uh, Things Fall Apart. And she says she loved that novel so much because the author did not write it with the white gaze in mind. Mm. And she said, oftentimes with Black performers and Black art, it's amazing, but you could tell they also made it with the white gaze in mind. How will white people view this? How will they digest it? Yeah. And I think it's critical now that as Black artists, we create what will make us feel free. Yeah. And I don't think it, it it serves us to pander to white people and to create things that doesn't make them uncomfortable. Because if it causes them discomfort to see it, it probably causes us death to live it. Mm. So, yeah, I know for me as a writer, you know, every script I've ever written, the cast is black. It's yeah. predominantly black. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, and it was very intentional. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm in the business of telling black stories, you know, yeah. and, um, I just think it's creatives. Yeah. We need to create what's going to make us feel free. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is this too. We need to also hold ourselves accountable as creatives mm. because, Yes, systemic racism and institutionalized policies and procedures have helped to shackle Black people. We need to also hold ourselves accountable and admit that we haven't always used our platforms as well as we could have. Hmm. We haven't, or we have, we haven't done it as consistently as we could have. You know, um, and I and, and I get it. I understand being torn between saying what you feel and keeping the job. I understand because I, I've been the only black person at several places of employment, including um, where I currently am. So I get I, I, I wholeheartedly understand that. I just think that one thing Colin Kaepernick showed us, if nothing else, is that sometimes the money just isn't worth it. So, you know, we need to just start having those conversations with ourselves and just start asking ourselves as creatives, you know, how are we going to use our platforms mm. in such a way to help spark change? Yeah. Um, you know, so those are just the things that have been running through my mind. Yeah. Um, and I'm also on a final, I'm also very curious to see I hear all these networks like Paramount and Amazon and Netflix and I hear them all, you know, listen, your PR teams have put out a wonderful sentiment. How many black executives are you going to hire going forward? Yeah. How, you know, at Netflix, how many, are you still just going to have that one black gatekeeper that's pushing everything through? Mm -hmm. You know, um, at these talent agencies, it's, it's never more than two or three black agents. Right. So are, are yeah. you are you truly going to. You, you've been reactive yeah. to this situation. Now, are you going to be proactive? And I think that's what that's why I'm just reserving a lot of my. My commendation for these companies, I'm, I'm with, with reserving it because that's that's your reaction. What, what does proactivity look like? 
And and speaking about being proactive, um, I just feel sometimes um, as African American creatives, we we're even when we are cast, we have to take on certain roles because there's no diversity in the writing that that is applicable to us. You know what I mean? So um, mm-hmm. when I say that, you know, when 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 George Floyd passed, I remember. And it was a script. I think it was a, either one of the scripts that I sent you um, maybe last year. So I don't think I sent you this one, but I was writing from the standpoint of the, the downward spiral that leads to the perception that the media and that white America has of that fallen black soldier. If I can be uh, if, let me be specific. When Mike Brown was murdered. Right. The difference between that situation and this situation with George Floyd is people are not allowing the narrative of George Floyd to go awry. People are not allowing that poison like, oh, he 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 was this or he was that to um, influence how people feel about this specific situation. Like people know, listen, no matter if he was this or that, you killed this man. Right. And that shouldn't go unnoticed because of the fact that he may have been this in his life. And what I saw from that was that it doesn't matter who you are. If people love you, then they love you good or bad. And that's what I've seen be so illuminating in this whole situation during his funeral, his brothers, his nephews always highlighted the fact of how much of a leader he was. You know what I mean? So I think that the diversity that, that we can portray is sometimes skewed because of the fact of, you know, there's not much that we can, or there's not many, many people that are dumb or there are not many people that are daring to put us in roles that don't have us in slavery or periodic pieces. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also think too, Part of the reason why it's critical to have black gatekeepers is because they understand that not they understand that black actors should be able to have a portfolio and a resume that doesn't include a slave role. Yeah, they understand. And and to be clear, I have nothing against those pieces because some of my favorite films are are, you know, rooted in slavery. Right. Mine, too. Mine, too. Listen, I love Glory. I think it's mm. one of the best movies ever. You know, I think Glory was an amazing film. I love Django Unchained. I think it was an amazing film. But it doesn't always work the same for white people. Yeah. There are a lots of amazing white artists who've never had to play a segregationist, who've never had to play a slave master. So why is it necessary for for me as a black creative, as a black artist, as that to be one of the things I check off? Oh, you played a hero. Cool. You played a noble person. Great. You played a, you know, um, a a character with little no morals. Okay, cool. You played a slave. Okay. It's like it's like you. Why is that part of my list? And when you start looking at actors and actresses who haven't played those roles. You know, it makes you wonder. Um, The other thing I, I would say, too, is that. The beauty of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime is that they have created spaces where large amounts of Black creatives can gather and put out work. I think, 
and that's cool too. I think the other larger question is that we need to start. It needs to be more. It can't just be Ava DuVernay and Issa Rae and Lena Waithe and Shonda Rhimes. It needs to be more. You know, it, it need it, it can't just be Spike Lee and Denzel when he's not acting and um, Robert Townsend. And it, it, listen, it can't and Tyler Perry. It can't just be those four or five. It can't. It can't just be literally a talented ten. Like you probably got ten heavy hitting black producers, black you know directors in Hollywood. You probably got 10 that are heavy hitters. Yeah. It can't just be those 10. It needs to be more. How do we break in? I think one thing, you know, listen, I think it's a lot of merit in what both Spike Lee and Tyler Perry have done in the fact that they wrote and directed and produced their own films. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the beautiful part of Tyler Perry opening up their studio is that we no longer have to beg white people for a seat at the table because he built a table for all of us. Yeah. So I think that is the beauty in all of that. I just think that um, Viola Davis hinted at this when she won her Oscar. She was like, there, there are not enough roles. So I think that as black writers, we have to consistently keep telling these stories. Yeah. Because there, it, it, it needs to happen. You know, yeah. um, it needs to happen. Yeah. You know, people keep... Um highlighting social media and saying that normally when these heinous crimes occur, i.e. Um, Breonna Taylor, rest in peace to that queen, i.e. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery, rest in peace to that king, um, if we had been able to see Trayvon Martin, um, it would have been different. Speaking on social media and um, how we were able to witness George Floyd in those moments, right? How do you feel that, um, how do you feel that this situation is different from the the other times that it has occurred and we've had to hear it a month? Because I believe that the Ahmaud Arbery situation happened in February of this year, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so how do, how do you feel that it's different and how do you feel that it, it will how do you feel that it's been different now versus those situations before? Um, this may come across as a little harsh, but people can't do anything else but protest now. Yeah. Everything is closed. Yeah. You know, there, there, there are no distractions because in February, outside was still open in February. Um, so people can go outside and, and be distracted. And, and here's the thing. We, 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 we could be distracted. You know, because as long as I'm going to my job and making this money and driving back to my suburb every day, I don't necessarily have to think about a lot of things that are going on. I can insulate myself from a lot of the the maladies that happen in the real world. Yeah. But because of this coronavirus and quarantines and even though states are slowly reopening, many people have become hermetic. And so they're still staying at home. Um, people had an opportunity, you know, people had time to really sit and think. And so I think it's a couple of things. You know, people are financially strapped right now, right? Because many people have lost their jobs or they've had to tighten up their their, their spending or, or lessen their spending since coronavirus happened. Your kids, are, you're home with your kids all day now in a way that people were not before. Um, 
people, many people are not working. So they're home all day in a way they were not before. So people have gone, people have gone stir crazy. People are upset. People are angry. People are tired. People are already restless. So the unrest caused by these situations does not come as a surprise. I kid you not. When Ahmaud Arbery happened, I told my dad, I said, Daddy, you mark my word. If another one of those happens while we in quarantine, people going people gonna to riot. And sure enough, mm-hmm. sure enough, you know, George Floyd was assassinated by the police. Yeah. So people got up and they started rioting. Because, and here's the thing too, now people have nothing to lose. Why you say that? Because I'm already off work. Yeah. What you gonna do? You gonna you gonna take my unemployment? Yeah. You you understand? My business already haven't made no money since February. So quiet as it's kept, Louis Vuitton should be appreciative of that insurance claim. They're gonna be able to file for all the stuff that happened in Lennox Mall. <laughs> you haven't made money since February. <laughs> That's a I, fact. Come on. That's a Let's fact. Talk. Let's call it cat a cat. Look, them purses and handbags and, and belts been sent up there collecting dust since February. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. people didn't take their stimulus checks out there and go buy new Louis Vuitton bags. People were paying rent and groceries. You had a handful that's young and dumb and probably living out with their parents that went out there and bought name brand things. But the majority of people, by and large, they, they did one of three things. They bought food, they bought groceries, or they put their money up. That's what they did. Or they paid rent. Yeah, and so, so you 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 know, so I feel like this this was the perfect storm. You know, people are angry, and then I will say this too. One thing I say because you mentioned everybody seeing it, I'm gonna tell you what's starting to bother me though. Yeah, the amount of trauma porn that is persecuted against Black people. And circulated about black people, it's troubling to me. When you say because trauma porn, are you are you referring to the fact of what it's doing? Uh, explain that. I don't understand what trauma porn means. Yeah, so absolutely. So when you look at porn, so let, let's break it down. So when, when you look at the word trauma, right? Trauma yeah. means pain. It, it means excuse me, it means pain. It means um, something that has adversely affected to who you are, right? It could be emotional trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma. There are a variety of different types of trauma people can experience. But the but ultimately, trauma in and of itself, it stuns your emotions in such a way that you will never be the same because of what you have experienced. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. So then when you look at... Yeah, I you see know, where you're going porn. with it. Keep going, keep going. I see where yeah. you're going with when, it. When you look at porn in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Porn... One of the reasons why psychologists say porn is not meant to be consumed is because it desensitizes people because it objectifies people just down to their sexuality, yeah. right? Just down to your to your sexual organs, your sexual performance. It, it, it objectifies you just down to those things. So when you put that together, you got trauma porn. We are being reduced to black bodies on the street. Mm-hmm. We're being reduced to knees and necks we're we're being reduced to bullet wounds and our flesh but we're so much more than that and it troubles me because you don't see trauma porn being released for for all of the white people that die you don't see that kind of trauma porn being circulated you don't see those things happening um 
That's and a it fact. Me. That's a fact. Do, yeah. And so this 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 trauma porn, the fact that we're consuming this, what does it say about us as a culture that we become accustomed to watching black people die on television mm. in real life? What does that say about us as, as a culture? And then you're surprised when kids go shoot up schools. Why? You fed them trauma porn since they could begin to understand the television screen. Right? And so you sit here, and then I hate it because it's constantly being replayed. And it's constantly being circulated. We know it took him eight minutes and 46 seconds to die. Like, it's constantly being circulated. But yeah. meanwhile, <clears throat> crime scene photos of white people, you got to go to the dark nooks and crannies of the internet. It's hard to find a picture of Nicole Brown Simpson when she almost got decapitated in front of her house. Yeah, that's a it's fact. It's hard to find, you know what I'm saying, a picture of Gianni Versace. It's hard to find pictures of John Lennon from the Beatles when he got killed. Like it's hard to find it's hard to find pictures of RFK mm. after he was dead when he got shot at, at the rally. It's hard to find pictures of JFK with half his head blown off because that's what happened when he got assassinated, right? Yeah. So why is it so hard to find those pictures of white people, but it's so very easy to find pictures? It's on YouTube, it's on Twitter, yeah. it's on Tumblr, yeah. it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram. You can go anywhere and watch black people die. And then you sit here and you got watch this because we reduced it to trauma porn. And just like sexual porn in real life, people want to act it out. So now what do you have? You got white people imitating what happened making a mimic mimicry of what happened because it's we we've reduced it down to porn he's been reduced to a knee and a neck so anytime you reduce something that reductionist theory allows you to take the humanity out of it and that bothers me that that we sit here as a country and we watch trauma porn like that i refuse to watch it because i watched when Alton Sterling got killed mm. in front of the store for selling CDs. And then I backdoored and watched when Philando Castile got shot. And I watched them both, you know, go into shock and shiver and shake and moan and die on camera. And I said, I can't do it no more. It's not good for my mental health. Yeah. Um, I feel like those videos shouldn't be circulating like that. But but then on the flip side, I understand, right? Because It was the pictures of rioting and looting and bombing that made Linda B. Johnson file. I mean, sign the civil rights movement. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. It wasn't Dr. King and his peaceful nature. So, you know, it's um it's a two-edged sword. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. You know, you said assassination and you repeated it in this in that last statement that you uh you had and when i think assassination i think of um the late great malcolm x the late great um martin luther king jr because george floyd was assassinated do you think that he will be immoralized like they were or are rather do i think what now that he will be immoralized yeah, I don't even know if that's a word, but do you think that he his name and his legacy will be held in the likes of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X? 
I think he'll. I think he's going to become, unfortunately, the Emmett Till. I think. He, I think collectively, him, Trayvon Martin, and Philando Castile, and Brianna. Um, God, what is her last Taylor, name? Taylor. Taylor. Thank you, Brianna Taylor. Um, Sandra Bland. You know, all of these people that have died in his police brutality. I think collectively, they they have become our generation's Emmett Till because they're the spark that's going to make us force this country to re-examine its use of police. Okay. So you don't believe that you don't believe that because we were able to see George Floyd being murdered, that that murder and that instance has any greater weight than the other situations that have happened in the last few months of this year. You don't think that that will propel this particular situation to have him in the likes and the conversations of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King because of, I, and I'm only saying that because you used the word assassination because that's what it was. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I say, I think, I, I think it's going to be much more collective because when you look at a Malcolm X or a Dr. King, it's very easy to make them mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. But I think his is. I think this was I think this was it. Like this was a straw that broke the people's back. Yeah. And I think collectively all of these black bodies mounted up together is what people are angry about. We're still angry that Colin Kaepernick couldn't get an NFL deal. Yeah, that's We're a fact. still angry um at how this president has disrespected Barack Obama in a way that no other sitting president has. Yeah. Disrespected a former president. We're angry um at just all the things that we see. You know, and so I think this is a straw that broke the camel's back. I think he will be. I think his. I think I think he's the Emmett Hill of our generation. I think collectively they're all the Emmett Hill of our generation because they received a harsh punishment for crimes that people don't even think about. You know, my friends and I who um. it's so funny one of my dear friends was just here from college um and we worked at armani exchange together and anyone who's ever worked retail whether you worked at target the grocery store uh store in the mall wherever Mm -hmm. we know the procedures for for money you have that money marker you run the line through it if it turns a certain color you tell them you can't accept it and you give them that money back now, if they make an issue out of it, they start trying to argue with you, you know, berate you, be loud. You go get a manager. But most, but by and large, I don't know anyone who's worked retail who has called the police. I've had people try to write bad checks. I didn't mm. call the police. I just said, ma'am, I'm sorry. We can't accept this. The system was not allowing us to process your check. You may want to contact your financial institution. Mm. Oh, well, I know it's a good check. I, I said, I, I, look, I understand. And I, I want you to be able to get the merchandise. But we just can't do this at this time because of ABCDEFG. Mm. You know, I've had people give money and the money seemed suspects. And we ran the mark. I said, I'm sorry. Like something about this money. Um, it's not allowing us to take it. So if you got it from your bank, go right back to your bank. If you just made a withdrawal and ask them to give you a different, you know, um, ask them to give you some singles, ask them to give you some, some, some tens or some fives and some twenties. Cause this is this one, a hundred dollar bill. Something about this money market is just not picking it up the right way. Mm-hmm. Or, 
go, you know, go deposit in your account and come right back. But none of us, we were all talking. None of us ever called the cops. Yeah. Do you think we, do you think we understand more or uh, why? And, and here's the thing. It seems like, it seems like, and, it, and it, you know, my inner thoughts. And, and again, I think you mentioned something about narrative. No, no, you didn't. I've been trying to control the narrative of of how I'm perceived with this situation going on. And it's been late at night that I've been driving and I'm just like, damn, man. It's just, it reminds me of, of you know, I, I've recently been listening to a lot of Mob Deep and they had this record called Temperatures Rising. And I just feel like that song that they made in 1995 is prevalent, even though they were speaking about like hood politics, right? The temperature nowadays is rising because literally I've, I've seen a lot of Instagram videos and this one particular one I was watching today with my wife, she um, showed me police knocking over a 90 year old lady and the kid that she was, her grandson that she was trying to protect ran a stop sign and he sped home, got out on the ground and he got on the floor and he had his hands up and he was like, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. And I'm just like, yo, the temperature's rising. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that type of action. People have no choice but to react like that now. You know what I'm saying? It's not, not people. We have no choice but to react that, like that right now because of what we see is going on, the trauma point that you see is going on. Like we think, yo, when we get pulled over, it's, yo, it's, it's, it, this might be my last. So if I can run and get to the crib so that people can see it, my mama can save me, I'm going to try to do that. And and so, um, I'm sorry. What was I going? I'm sorry. What was I going? I lost my train. Of you thought. were just saying how um, the temperatures rising. Yeah, the temperature the temperatures rising. So, oh Jesus Christ. Well, I I don't know where I was going with that, but I just feel like not like I'm riding late at night, and I'm just like, man, I just you know, I hope that if I get pulled over. I'm clean. I know I'm clean, but I hope that um, I can just articulate myself so that they can see, you know, listen, this is not a, you know, this might be, he might be, he might be, I don't know. I'm just confused. Um, um, I think, I think, you know, a lot of us are confused because, um, Like it's hard. I think I I think especially in Houston, it's hard not to feel like yo, damn. Um, he may have crossed my path. I may have known him. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's hard because it's so close to home. You know, a lot of times it not so close to home. It is home. This is a guy from the city who you know was trying to was changing his life in another city and. I can understand why Minneapolis is, is on fire. I can understand. Like, they not too long ago, maybe two years, three years ago, uh, another black soldier was murdered at the same way. And he was trying to explain himself. He was trying to say, look, here are my credentials. And, you know, I don't know, man. I'm confused, to say the least. I think we're all confused and conflicted and then the other thing is for some of us you know we we have been fortunate enough to continue working during this pandemic that's a and fact so now more than ever it's even harder to check 
any anger, frustration you may feel as a black person, it's even harder to check at the door before you go into work now. Why do you say that? Because we have to. Why do you say that? Because white people can sit there and watch this trauma porn and sit at Starbucks and tell their friends, yeah, it's so sad. It's so bad. Da, 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 da. Mm. I thought you were And they can go, go on to live in their lives because their kids are not afraid of the police. They're not afraid for their husbands, their fathers to get pulled over by the police. They're not afraid to get stopped by the cops. They know lots of cops. Some of them do anyway. Mm. Um, we've legalized being white in this country years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? So they can disassociate themselves. They can talk about it around the water cooler and keep moving. We have to live in it. So you already have the everyday microaggressions and schisms that come with being one of a few or one of one in your workplace. You couple that with the anger that many of us feel, the hopelessness, the despair, the rage, the numbness, the apathy that some of us feel because being hurt takes too much out of us at this point. Yeah. And when and you still go into those white spaces and you have to pretend like you're not angry. And so then you sit back and you start to notice you become hypersensitive to the microaggressions at your job in ways you never had before. And I, I knew I knew that you were going to go that direction with that. I knew it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you 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 do. You start to notice things like, yeah, yeah. dang, you know, it's it's no black executives. Mm. Okay. Mm. Or or dang, mm. you know. White people had purple and gold around, you know, when Kobe died. And I'm just waiting to see what y'all going to do about all this. Or your company issues one of those really good, really well-written PR statements that everybody's issuing. You say, yeah, y'all say that, but you haven't hired any black people since I got here. Mm. Or I get great evaluations and I have to constantly prove myself. You know, or they always, they still presume us to be incompetent. Yeah. Right? And so you think about those things and it's like, and it, it hits different now. Yeah. You know, because it's like, I think um there, there there's a sociologist and mm-hmm. uh, he, uh, he writes about something called the nigger moment. And he said, the nigger moment is the moment in every black person's life where they're reminded that many people think they're nothing more than a nigger. And you start to ask yourself, how many nigger moments do I have every day? You start to ask yourself, you know, how many nigger moments went into this paycheck? You start to ask yourself, am I giving people permission to, 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 to create these nigger moments in my life. You start to ask yourself some really hard questions. And um, I've talked with a lot of my friends, you know, who are the only black person or one of two or one of three. And these are just things that they share with me, Mm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And if three or four people are telling their one friend about it, then that's just a small slice of the pie. They're probably echoing the sentiments of many black people right now. Mm. Because in order to be able to work from home, you have to be in a certain type of profession. By and large, most of the time, those professions are not staffed by many people of color. So I've had so many of my friends who work in white spaces. You know, we, you know, 
they've they've vented and said this is how I feel right now you know um I had one one friend I went to high school with uh her and her husband make amazing money and they're definitely millionaires they live in a very affluent part suburb right outside Dallas and she put on her Instagram she was pulling her black kids out of that private school because she was like they're the only black kids in their grade level there is no black faculty and my kids are not going to be the, the brown faces you put on all the promotional material mm-hmm. to, to lure people in when my girls go all day and never see anybody it looks like them until they run into each other that's a problem for me yeah. and I love that because it was her taking her constituency back. Yeah. You know, as black people, we give our constituency away. You know, I'm trying so hard um, not to with uh, entrepreneurship. And it feels like, you know, uh, you know, and here's one thing that I wanted to say earlier. Um, I pray that we were able to band together after this, during this. And it continues on because, you know, so many times and I've heard this and I guess I'm, I'm just articulating it in my own way. But so many times stuff like this happens a lot. And by the grace of God, we've seen it first firsthand. We've seen it with this with whoever recorded. I think it was a 17 year old girl who recorded uh, George Floyd in his last moments. We see it and then we'll. We'll get together for a period of time. We'll march for a period of time. And then everybody goes back to their respective lanes. And so for me, I think that in episode 66, I said that what I wanted people to take away was that, listen, we on this team, in this war, we all have a, a point to play or a position to play, rather. Um, I just hope that we can still stand together when change comes. However it may look, when it comes, I hope that we can still band together because it's a sad thing to only get together for a cause. And this cause right here demands us to be together. But after, when, it, when, when the climate cools down, when we start to see change, however it may come, I hope we can still stay together. You know, I think this is where baby boomers need to speak up because one of the flaws of that generation was they were incredibly united, right, for the women's movement and for the civil rights movement and so on and so forth. But it seems like once the 80s hit, they, you you stopped seeing and hearing, you know. And I and some of it, some of them, you know, by the 80s, they were married and they, they had to move differently. Some of it was that. But some of it was, I don't know. It's like people went back to their respective places. Yeah. You know, like I see, you saw, but in the eighties, you, you didn't see black white people united like this. Yeah. You understand? Like you didn't see it and people didn't really just talk about it a whole lot. You know, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like once people started to gain the things they wanted from the movement, there was nothing done to ensure that these, there was nothing done to ensure that human rights stayed at the forefront of the American conversation. I agree. I agree. And I think that, I think that a lot of that was the fact of assuming that because we've come so far that that needs to go without being said, but do we have to continue to make that a point of conversation? Hey, you know what? Um, Everything is cool right now, but yo, um, 
Make sure that, you know, make sure that you bring more black faces around. Like, we got to have that opportunity. Or do you think that in creating it ourselves, that opportunity will show its face? Yeah. Um, I think that our our white allies are going to have to do more than just have black friends and marry black people. You're going to have to do more than that. You're going to have to start giving this the same energy you guys give tsunamis and earthquakes and wildfires. Give mm. it that same energy. Mm. Be equally as passionate mm. with this as you are about PETA and being vegan and recycling. Be equally as passionate. Mm. Um, the other thing I would say, too, is that I find it troubling that, you know, you don't really hear about protests in the 80s here in the U.S., Right. In the way that you did in the 60s and the 70s. And that was also the same time, you know, crack got introduced to our communities. Yeah. Right. And so. You think we found a new, you think we found a new thrill? Listen, you know, ironically, also by the 80s, all the Black Panthers had been dismantled and disbanded. You know, there, there weren't any truly active chapters of the Black Panther Party. Right. Because the Panthers, you know, had been infiltrated by the FBI. So they kind of. Um, disintegrate from the inside out. And so by the 80s, many of them have gone on to be professors or they've left the United States. Some of them are living in exile in Cuba. Some of them have completely walked away from, you know, the Panther Party. And this is around the time you had the birth of gangs and crack and stuff hit our community. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my prayer, my concern is that something like Black Lives Matter, even when police, you know, units are reformed and many of them are defunded as they should be, when these things happen, I need, we need Black Lives Matter to still be part of the conversation, to still be at the forefront, to not disintegrate like we saw the Panthers do, because when the Panthers left communities, the very communities they left were the very communities where the Crips and Bloods started. That's not a coincidence. Yeah. You got you got a generation of black kids who have no leadership. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we still need we still need that. And so I hope it's not just temporary. You know, that's why it needs to be a collective thing. You need black movies and black art to be produced like never before. You need um you gotta bring back black teachers too. Yeah. You know, I mean it's it's crazy you say that. I just me and my wife, we just moved into a house. And um, I was talking to a colleague through text message and she said, listen, she said something. And I said, listen, I ain't going nowhere. I just signed my life away for the next 30 some, 20 some, 30 some years. I ain't going nowhere until they fire me. And then talking to Pierre, he was just like, you know, he didn't want to hear anything that people had to say if they're not in the community. And I feel like. You know, I've done playing in this war and on this team, I've done I'm doing my part just staying in the system because like you said, in episode number 30, um, I'm sorry, 29 black teachers are needed. Desperately. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm of the philosophy, look, even if you just do two and through, do two years and you get in and you get out. And you go on to a career that makes you more money or makes you happy. Black teachers are desperately needed because one of the 
disadvantages of integrating schools was that you decimated the black teacher workforce mm. because years ago during segregation outside of some catholic nuns in new orleans and some quakers in philadelphia no one was educating black children except black children yeah except black teachers so when when schools began to get integrated and black kids are going to school with white teachers, now black teachers had to try to get hired at those white schools. And um, black teachers, by and large, are few and far between because one of the things integration did was it took away a lot of the barriers. So I don't have to, quote unquote, settle for being an educator when I can go be a physician, a pharmacist or whatever the case may be. And those careers have merits, but it's critical because I I talked to a lot of black teenagers this past week and they all said in so many words, they don't feel seen. Yeah. And many of them, all of them said no one asked them, how do they feel as a result of the headlines? As a black person in America, how do you feel? Nobody asked them that. Yeah. And I'm saying, but these are the environments we're sending kids into. Mm. You know, these these black kids desperately need black teachers in a way they never have before. You know, I purposed in my mind to start asking that question because I wanted I wanted more importantly that no matter if I'm doing the podcast or not, that I'm always current to the time. So I purposed in my mind to ask um, us creatives what's going on, how do we feel? I purpose, I purpose in my mind to do that regardless because I don't think that that's asked enough of people. How are you doing? Sincerely, I think it's a salutation that people use. And regardless if you get an answer or not, people move on to the next moment in the conversation. You know what I mean? So um, here's where I want to go with it. Um, Today is June the 7th, 2020. We have 207 days left. As a creative, where do you begin to, as a creative who's a writer, where do you begin to tell George Floyd's story cinematically or in a stage play or something that people can read and we begin to switch the narrative of how we get into the um, room with film producers and people with the budget to be able to produce something cinematically? Um. I think a conversation that a lot of people have in hushed whispers and just between the two of us and quiet as it's kept, um, a lot of black women, they carry joy in their womb, but they also carry fear and they carry trauma. And black mothers are afraid for their children in a way that other mothers just are not. And that begins in the womb. So we need to start the conversation there because number one, black women, you might die on the table, right? Cause black women die more than any other group in this country delivering birth to their children. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, you got to hope you don't die on a birthing table. And if you live, you have to brace yourself from the day your, your child goes from being cute to being a threat. Mm. And you birth this child you watch your heart be outside of your body only to know that somebody else is looking at your heart as target practice at the police academy. 
And that's a fear that black women carry that other mothers simply do not carry. Um, you know, Tamir Rice was 12 years old when the police shot him. Mm-hmm. He was in a park playing with a BB gun that he got for Christmas. And I'm thinking to myself, like, all the super soakers I had growing up, you know, my cousins had BB guns. I'm thinking about um, my cousins, you know, play fighting in front of the house. And I'm just thinking of all the things you do as a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking how we used to go to the, to, it was a construction site. They were building a park. We used to play at the construction site when we were kids, before they even finished the park. And I'm just thinking about this boy was in a park. He was 12. He was 12. He was an entire baby. You understand? And so you have to birth a child that you know may not get a chance. And some black women are afraid to have children. And to be quite frank, some black women are afraid to give birth to black boys. Mm. (laughs) Even the ones that are married, even the ones who have great husbands who are going to, who they feel are going to be great fathers and they probably will be even the ones that are financially stable. Jordan Davis grew up in an affluent white suburb and was in a car with his friends and they were playing their music loud and a white man told them to turn it down. And they didn't even argue with the man. They just kept playing the music and he shot into the car and he died. They had a gas station. What teenagers don't play their music loud in the car? I do when I'm grown. I do too. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, listen, it's a whole concert in my car. So I just, but you you think of those things, right? Yeah. Jordan Davis was 16 years old. He was on the honor roll. He was a good kid, right? And so you have to think about, like, my child really can't, like, how much of a childhood can they have? Because you, you from the time they're born, you have to straddle this line between letting them do I let my child live or do I just let my child exist? Mm. You know, you, you, you got to talk to them about having white friends and why you can't go over your white friend's house. Cause if something come on miss, they're going to look at you. Mm. They can come here, but you can't go there. You got to start having those conversations mm-hmm. at a young age. Right. So it's mm. just, um, but I feel like that's where the story needs to start. You know, because think about, think, I mean, just think about all the things we heard as black kids. Make sure you got your ID. Always get a receipt. Always ask for a bag. Mm. Don't be out there late at night. Come come in when the street lights are on. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't be up at that school arguing with them white people. Mm-hmm. Just think about all those little things that mama and, and, and granny and auntie and daddy talk. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. White kids, aren't, them parents ain't having the same conversation with their kids. Mm. <laughs> they not <laughs> like we raise our kids to not get killed how many white people are raising their kids to not be racist mm. yeah so I feel like the conversation needs to start there yeah yeah but you know here, here we are here we are here we are as a creative in Los Angeles during 2020, 2020, or I should say, the year of perfect vision, how would you describe the creative with one word 
during this time period? Mm. Vital. Vital. Yes. Vital. Vital. Like that word. Yeah, I think the creative is vital. I like that word. Yeah. So, um, are you going to protest after you've strategized um, this uh, coming week? Yeah, ne- yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm be, I'm gonna be at the next protest. I mean, listen, it's summer. We already work from home. I ain't got nothing else to do. So, um, <laughs> no, I'm <just> but no, <laughs> seriously, I- <laughs> we already got to get another stimulus check. No, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> Listen, hey, look, they say ain't no more stimulus. They say we got to rebuild the mall and the police station and the firehouse and the grocery store and the Walgreens. and the, Ain't no more stimulus. Y'all yeah. done messed that up for everybody, okay? Ain't, ain't now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here we are. You had to, no, to put that listen. southern drawl on it. Ain't now. <laughs> listen, listen, ain't now. Ain't no more. We don't have it. Um. <laughs> I got to reach in my savings and rebuild what y'all done tow up. Ain't yeah. no more stimulus coming out. Yeah. Um. So listen, no, but for real, for real, I definitely am um, going to, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, I'm definitely going to get out there and because I think for me, you know, um, I want to be able years from now when I'm a parent and my kids are asking me, I want to be able to say this is what I did. I did donate money. You know, I was a teacher, so I didn't donate what the celebrities donated, but I did donate some money. And time. Um, And I definitely protested. And movements need two things. They need protesters and they need um, people to give. Yeah. You need need protesters and you need patrons or or it's not going to survive. So I can look back and say I did both. And I think for me, that'll give me. That'll give me a a clear conscience, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. We we you talk. Are you going we, protest? we uh yeah I am I am uh I I wanted to go out. See here's the thing, because uh, I I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. Um, I have my thoughts on certain situations that I keep to myself because again I I don't want people using what I say against me in the future. So absolutely. So I keep everything and and again I like to speak specifically about myself. So if you say something, I was talking about me, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't speak too intelligently about everybody else, but I was talking about me, but, um, yeah, I, I wanted to go to the meeting, uh, well, the, the March for George Floyd last week in Houston, I got caught up at work. So, you know, I had pressed a t-shirt with his picture on it and I wanted to put on the back justice for Floyd and I was going to go with my mother-in-law, but I got caught up closing at work. So I didn't go, but the next one, whatever happens next, you, I just got to be careful because you got amidst the the marching and 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 this tragic time we're in, we're still supposed to be quarantined. And I went to my nephew's game a couple of days ago, right? And he plays baseball. I went to the twelve U game. I had a mask on. Nobody around had masks on, and I'm thinking to myself, why don't people have masks on, even knowing that? Yo, it's still, we still, amongst what's going on, 
with this racial war, we still have to be careful because of COVID-19. And so um, that's my only concern with marching. Like, you know, at the end of the day, when I get it ready to come home, I, I want to be safe. I want to be secure. And I don't want to have to worry about a disease that nobody can control and has any idea of how to fix and resolve. I think that's really true because um, there have been a lot of protesters who are out there with no mask on. Mm, that's a fact. That is a fact. And we got to be mindful because black people, we're dying from the coronavirus at a rate other communities are not. And many of us live in communities that have been medically redlined, which means we don't have access to or we have limited access or subpar access to medical care. Yeah. You know, so we got to be real careful because, listen, they made sure our communities don't have access to good medical care. Yeah. So just you, protest, but wear, wear your mask. Yeah. I want to say this platform does not support Donald Trump. I want to say that I, I'm, a, I'm a podcaster, so I listen to a lot of podcasts and I got this list off this podcast. Let me know which one of these that you're willing to dismiss forever. Businesses in support of Trump's reelection, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, CVS, Snapchat, Taco Bell, Home Depot, KFC, Chick-fil-A, that one hurt, IHOP, Wendy's, Marvel, the comic book, Papa John's, New Balance, Hobby Lobby, Ford, Dior, Louis Vuitton, Mark Jacobs, and there's another one on here. I, I spelled it wrong, so I can't pronounce it. How many, how many, you uh, talking about the black dollar, how many people do you think are going to take their money away from that? Because we should start there. I feel like, um, I don't have none of those things to be very honest because, um, Home Depot doesn't sell anything you can't find at Lowe's. Mm. Um, KFC, it's too many mom and pop places that fry chicken and you can get a whole basket for $5. So I'm not pressed to have y'all. Um, <laughs> Chick-fil-A, y'all want to pretend, but y'all are not the Lord's chicken. You know, <laughs> Jesus is not frying y'all chicken, so I don't have to have Chick-fil-A. Um, Ford, I mean, everybody's making those big trucks. So there's yeah. nothing special about what y'all do. And I'm sorry, not sorry. When Dodge came out with that challenger, like, who wants Mustang anymore? I don't. Mm. Um, mm. let's call it, let's call it, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm trying to think who else, who else did you say is out there? Uh, uh McDonald's, Pizza Hut, CVS. McDonald's don't even use real food. So that's who else? <laughs> Pizza Hut, CVS. Pizza Hut, is, is, Pizza Hut is glorified cardboard. Um, CVS, you don't sell anything. We can't get at Walgreens or Rite Aid. So oh we're not God. pressed to have you. Oh and then, it, and then as far as in the South go, Walmart has the lowest pharmacy prices anyway. Mm. So I, I'm not I'm not pressed with CVS. So you good? Um, you good? Yeah. Who, who else is on that list? Man, there's a lot of people on this list. New Balance, the sneaker, Hobby Lobby. I don't know if that's in Cali. There's a Hobby Lobby black I go people, out here. Black people don't do enough arts and crafts to really be affected by that. We can order all that off of Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you see, now, now New Balance. Now this now that that put a pause in my spirit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> listen, can I get one more pair of new bounces for you? <laughs> I just need, I just need one pair. Um, 
a new non real talk. Uh, what is it? The five? Is it the four seventy four or the five seventy four? They got one cut that's like extra comfortable. But you know what? Real talk. Reeboks are equally as comfortable as New Balances, so we don't have New Box. I mean, New Balance. We can cancel y'all. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh. Because Reebok is always the backup anyway. And Reebok be on the two for 89 special for back to school. And y'all oh, don't. Yeah. So we don't have to have New Balance. Yeah, I was on that in college and people clown me. I was on Reebok yes. in college and they, they feel like you're walking on air. I, Reeboks, like you, yeah, it's like you said, it's like walking on a cloud all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, so speaking of president, mm, when the, um, loot, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. What do you feel about that? <laughs> God. And that's why he's in a bunker under the White House now. Yeah. Um, and that's why he lives at 1600 Black Lives Matter Plaza. So, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, this is what I'll say, too, though, about all that right there. Um, Joe Biden is going to speak with the family of George Floyd. And I, you know, okay, Joe Biden, but uh, how many of these other black families did you go out and speak yeah. to? Yeah, it seems so situational. It's so situational. It's so performative. Yeah. And this is the man who just last week told us that if we didn't vote for him, we wasn't black. So, um, listen, Joe Biden, I just, yeah, you're black America's side piece. And mm. so you, you've got to stay in your lane. You are not the Air Jordans that we stood in line for because we had to have a retros. Mm. No, sir, that's not you. You're the two for 89 special that nobody's in a rush to get because we know it's always going to be there. Mm. You are our last resort that our mama said because she, she wasn't going to pay for the Jordans. She was only going to pay for this. You're our last resort. And since the Democratic Party didn't get behind Bernie Sanders the way they should have. Yeah. You know, listen, you're our last resort and I need you just to humble yourself a little bit. And remember, um, we didn't put you on a democratic ticket twice. So we've already told you in a roundabout way. We really don't rock with you like that, mm. but you all, but you're, you're our best hope right now. Yeah. You know, the so, lesser of um, two evils. Absolutely. You know, because you and Donald Trump are two sides of the same white male patriarchy rapist coin. Mm. So please don't sit here and make yourself a martyr. Yeah. I don't care how many selfies you take with Sasha and Malia and Michelle Obama. We'll never forget how you how you let Anita Hill get publicly lynched. Mm. Newsflash, Anita Hill and Michelle Obama are the same type of black. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. We see you. For you sure. Know? For sure. We see you. It is for what sure. it is. But uh, you know, Joe Biden, you know how. <laughs> Most you know, of he, Go ahead, go ahead. Look, I'm sorry. Now you cool, like you know, he your uncle white friend from college that y'all really don't want to see at the cookout, but your big mama make him a plate just to, just to save face and keep the peace, and she hope he don't stay there long. And they don't, and we don't eat nothing he brings to the cookout. That's who he is. <laughs> so you know. Um, oh listen. my God! Most importantly, um, the last question I ask is, what's next for you? Um, I'm working on a on a, on my second short film. Um, okay. I'm writing that as we speak. So okay. I'm working on that. Um, I finished writing a feature length film. This is June. I finished that May first. Okay. So that was done. Um, I'm working on a short right now, and I 
am using this time, this excess of time I have to get uh, to finish polishing some scripts, cleaning some scripts and get them ready. Because when the industry does open back up, it's going to be the perfect time for new black talent, new black voices to walk through. I, I can't wait. That. I can't wait to talk about it. I just felt like, you know, I needed I needed your insight as to what what's going on in society right now as a creative, how you're dealing with it. I needed your insight. So I can't wait to talk about those scripts. I'm telling you. Well, listen, I appreciate you even creating the space to have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Houston, What's Texas. What's next for you as a creator? You know what? Uh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, like I said, I wrote a script a couple of years ago uh, in lieu of what was going on. I think I think Mike Brown was going on at the time. Um, and I can't forget who I can't remember who else. A couple of years after, I wrote a poem that uh, I was detailing stories about Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and I think two other patrons that we lost. Um, I'm thinking of how to creatively write. And that's why I asked you that question of where do you start telling uh, a story concerning George Floyd? I'm, I'm thinking about how to write in that lane. So last episode, I was talking to um, a guy who knew him. And I'm trying to find more people to paint his story because Wikipedia, they already put a profile up about him. They spoke about some some things. And I've been listening to the news and just trying to get a feel as to because it can't be done. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm the right person to do it. I can only write from my perspective. But I want to um, if if I'm talking about him or referring him, I want to do it in a light that people will understand. People will receive well and it doesn't do him injustice. So just writing something like a short film concerning that or something I can act in and bring another actor from Houston in and, you know, showcase here on the podcast and talk to that actor on the podcast about, you know, what what the challenges were about the role and just go about like that. So, you know, just finding the right people to to detail stories and and his history so that that way I can um, uh, correctly depict it. Mhm. Yeah, that's that's it for me, man. And summer school, and you know, I think that's beautiful. Plethora of other things. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about that script, though. I'm gonna be honest, I can't. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's a short, and it's gonna be. I've done a short before. Um, yeah. it was like nine pages, and this is gonna be half that amount because it has to be a five minute short film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. I loved your picture on your Instagram and, and in Houston, Texas, when she says that she's not active on Instagram, that's what she means. I love your picture on Instagram where you had where remember last year you were telling me about how you got cast in a, in, in, in a production. And so now you're doing more than just writing. You're acting now and you're trying to see how the camera works. So you're doing a plethora of things to diversify your portfolio but i saw your picture on ig and i was like look at look at kalea go on girl <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much i man i appreciate it no doubt I no appreciate doubt it. no doubt i appreciate every bit of the journey no doubt no doubt um we're gonna talk man we got wait when i when, when pierre and i get back on and talk about it some more um be expecting my phone call for sure for sure yeah i'm i'm here for it houston texas Kalea, say bye. Bye, y'all. Houston, Texas, I do what I do for myself to prove that I can do it for others. Peace and blessings.
it feel like 95. Sachi on my body. Biggie chick with puffy. All that ballin' is a hobby. Ain't no wildin' in my wallies. No valleys, no Pilates. More way, get you more way. Nah, that's these Bumanti. My crystal ball, I see crystal. I crystal y'all with that. I saw the sign like Ace of Base. That Ace is still the money guy. The Willie nigga. Who buy them bottles? And then they spill these liquors. Yo, yo, salute my dude. I see you. Over and done. Over and done. Over and done.